Hey guys, welcome back to Kindled. Today I have a very interesting episode for you and we are going to talk all about ESG standards. That might be a term you've heard thrown around, but uh, perhaps you don't know exactly what it means. You have a faint idea that it's not great, but you want to really understand what exactly it all entails and be able to communicate that to other people. That's what I'm hoping to leave you with in this episode. Um, The guest that I have today is an expert, and you're going to see that very quickly as we start talking about it. Um, But I'm really excited for this this episode and and to provide this information to you. Uh, Not that you couldn't go out there and get it yourself, but I know that we're busy as mothers, as women. Um, It's not exactly the thing you're going to spend your free time doing is looking up ESG standards. I know it's not typically what I would like to do with my time, Um, but I hope this will be a helpful format for you to learn about it so that you can understand what it is and share that with other people too. Uh, Before I give you that interview, I want to let you know about our sponsors for today. They are Little Light Artisans, Lacey Baumiller, and Cornerstone Curriculum. I also want to let you know that uh, my community for subscribers on Locals is continuing to grow, and that's the place that I share bonus episodes every single Friday uh, that are in in addition to this podcast. So Kindled is free, airs Mondays, wherever you get your podcasts. Firestarters airs only on locals for people inside that community. You can join us on there uh, at kindledpodcast.locals.com. Okay, those are my only announcements. So here's my conversation with Chris Talgo. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So before we get started, would you introduce yourself to listeners, tell them who you are and what you do? So I'm a senior editor at the Heartland Institute. We are a libertarian think tank. Uh, we Our mission is to promote uh, uh, free market solutions to social and economic problems. And uh, we have been taking a very keen interest in the Great Reset over the past year or so, ESG scores, and all the things that are probably coming down the pike sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, that is that that topic, the ESG scores, is obviously what we're going to be talking about today. But um, you wrote, I'm sure you've written a lot on that topic, actually, but I, that's how I found you was through an article that you wrote about ESG scores. And um, I pulled my audience actually on Instagram before uh, today, last week, I asked them, do you know what ESG scores are? Have you heard of them? Are you familiar and I think it was like a 60-40 split. And my audience, just to be fair, is pretty politically, you know, attuned to what's going on. Like they're savvy and they they are skeptical and they are largely conservative. Um, and so, you know, they they are a little more aware than obviously the general population. I shouldn't say a little, a lot. And yes. so, um, but even for them, you know, to have 60% who said like, I've heard of them, but I, I don't think I could explain it. I realized that that's something that I think we all really need to be um, aware of what these are, how they are impacting our lives and going to impact our life in the very near future. So could you explain it to us like we're five? What are ESG scores? I'll do my best Kamala Harris impression of the uh, Ukraine-Russia situation. Uh, so <laughs> uh, ESG scores, you know, they are mysterious. Uh, they're they're relatively new, uh, basically introduced in 2018. And what they are, they're called environmental social governance scores. And what they aim to do is to uh, overtake 
the shareholder capitalism model in which corporations, their, you know, their, their primary role is to produce goods and services at a you know, competitive price so that people will mm-hmm. buy them. Mm-hmm. This kind of throws that on its head and saying, no, actually the real or the new uh, role of corporations in general is to promote ESG guidelines. Now the ESG guidelines are, you know, are varied. You know, some have 25 metrics, some have up to 50 metrics for the environmental stuff. We could talk about the carbon footprint of a, a corporation. For the uh, social and the governance scores, we could be talking about the uh, diversity of the board members. I mean, there are so many inputs into it, but really what they are in, you know, in a nutshell are making sure that, you know, big financial institutions, BlackRock, Wall Street, you know, uh, investment firms are able to funnel capital where they want, how they want, when they want. So if you're a corporation that is, uh, you know, in line with what they are promoting for the ESG uh, guidelines, then, you know, you're going to be on their good side and you're going to have access to capital, access to uh, resources. And if you aren't, then you're going to have less access. So it's centralization. It's, uh, you know, big government and, you know, big banks trying to put money where they want to based on you know, these uh, very subjective guidelines. Mm. I didn't realize these only came about or were put in place in 2018. 2018 is like the, yeah, the very, very new. And what's, what's uh, I think most striking is the momentum uh, that they are gaining Mm -hmm. and the, the sheer number of corporations, uh, not only in the United States, but across the world that are signing on to this. Mm -hmm. And you've got a lot of big, uh, institutions, the uh, International Business Roundtable, and then so on and so forth, World Economic Forum, uh, International Monetary Fund, who are all in on this. They control mm-hmm. trillions upon trillions upon trillions of global assets. And they are using this as a way, as a scheme to put money where they want. Okay. So 2018, that was during Obama's presidency. Um, when we say they, I know that, you know, in our minds, we're thinking just like global elites, but how did this get implemented in the United States in the year 2018? I mean, there obviously something had to happen. Someone somewhere had to sign on to this and say, this is the new system. This is the new um, score by which, you know, business will be evaluated. Who is they? Like who actually put these in place or signed you know, sign them into, I don't know, they're not law, right? But are they? I don't know how to they're think not, about that. Well, yeah. And that, that that's a really interesting uh, thread that we can, you know, talk more about uh, later, because right now what we're doing is we're trying to fight the implementation of these at the state level. There is no federal law, uh, you know, banning or uh, outlawing them. However, you know, Right now, what we're trying to do is try to fight it at the state level. But going back to your original question, so uh, World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, you could say, is the uh, originator mm-hmm. of the idea. He wrote, he's written several books about shareholder capitalism, mm-hmm. going by the wayside and stakeholder capitalism being, you know, the, the new, the next big thing. Uh, in the United States, we've seen a couple of uh, very prominent, uh, you know, financiers, uh, Larry Fink, uh, uh, who leads BlackRock, which has uh, almost $10 trillion in uh, assets 
you know, under its umbrella, uh, really, really pushing this. So we've got, you know, people like uh, Larry Fink, we've got uh, big bankers at uh, Bank of America, uh, Jamie Dimon at JP Morgan Chase, they're in line with this. And they're in line with this because it puts, you know, power in their hands. Mm -hmm. They can socially engineer how they want to using capital as their leverage. So once again, Mm -hmm. whether it's an environmental objective or it's a uh, social objective, uh, you know, diversity in the boardroom or what have you, uh, they are using these these guidelines to say, we're going to try to steer the economy and corporations how we want them to behave. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, when you really just like break it down to its like most basic level, it's centralization and these people trying to uh, uh, take as much power as possible, put it in their own hands so that they can at least, I guess, try to steer uh, industry and business uh, as they you know, see fit. Let me tell you about our first sponsor of today, and that is Little Light Artisans. These are gorgeous handcrafted wood and resin earrings. They are handcrafted from start to finish by a small Christian family-owned business. These one-of-a-kind earrings are unlike anything you'll find anywhere else. I have multiple pairs of them now, and they are some of my favorite statement earrings to wear because they are lightweight and I don't feel them, which is a must for me. Can't really do those heavy, chunky earrings all day long. You can find them at littlelightartisans.com or check them out at littlelightartisans on Instagram. And their coupon code, TAKE20, gets you 20% off all orders. That is 20% off any order of any amount with the coupon code TAKE20. Shop at littlelightartisans.com. Yes. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So there's some key words there that I think, you know, if people can hone in on them, will help them to uh, explain this to someone else. Like you just said, centralization. Uh, You know, if we think about obviously the federal government and understand that our constitution was written and the government was set up in such a way to have a division of power and the three branches, because our founding fathers recognized that the tendency of, you know, those in power was to uh, you know, wield that power um, unjustly and to turn into tyrants. And obviously that is, you know, such a big part of the foundation of the United States. And, and so there's this division of power and this balance and this tension that is held when you decentralize the power from just one place. But what, what it sounds like you're saying is we've achieved that with capitalism, you know, we've achieved just competition, the free market, like uh, companies with the best product and at the best price are going to sell the most units or services, whatever it is. And that creates, it drives down prices and it makes customers happy and it makes companies happy, happy who actually perform the best. It just seems like this really great system. But what we're doing is we're undoing or kind of deconstructing that and shifting into a new model of Uh, like you said, not shareholder capitalism, but stakeholder capitalism, which means now the businesses are serving the interests of the stakeholders, not of those who would be buying and purchasing the products. Is that an accurate description? Yes, very spot on. And, uh, 
you know, th- th- there's, there's so many dimensions of this. So like one of them, so when you go back to 20, 2007, 2008, we had the financial crises. And one of the things that happened as a result of that was we had five, six, seven giant financial institutions, the giant banks come out of that with unprecedented power and capital. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we had a lot of small banks, you know, uh, just go bankrupt, be terminated. So now you've got a couple of uh, core big banks wielding lots and lots of uh, power over the financial sector. So that's one thing. You've also got this this new idea of stakeholderism, whether it's uh, in the Virginia governor's race, the uh, uh, the losing Democratic uh, candidate saying, oh, well, you know, parents aren't the only stakeholders when it comes to education. We have to take into account the teachers and all these other, other uh, you know, interest groups. And what they're saying is, we should apply that that same model to the economy as a whole. So if Target is not, uh, you know, abiding by the rules that we want them to abide by, whether it's, you know, the percentage of uh, minority candidates, you know, in uh, management positions or whether, you know, their truck fleet is producing too much emissions or whatever it is. They're going to say, "Well, we're going to we're going to penalize you for this." So, mm-hmm. what, like you said, it's it's power, it's centralization, as Lord Acton said so many you know centuries ago, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. What what we're doing is we are putting into the hands of a few very powerful people the blueprint for the economy for decades to come, and I don't trust them. And and like you said. Free market capitalism spurs innovation. It spurs, you know, growth. It, it mm-hmm. it's impossible for one person or one group of people to try to socially engineer businesses or the economy because they are unable to understand mm-hmm. all the complexities that you know make up a uh, economy. And yeah. that's why that's why you know free market capitalism. People, individuals making choices as to the businesses that they would like to, you know, purchase goods or services from is always the best way right. to, to ensure that those businesses are on the up and up and they're, and they are, they are doing things that the people want, not what right. the people who supply them money want them to do. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there's a shift in um, the decision maker, a shift in the the stakeholder. And you, you've said that I'm just reiterating it, but what I, I the other obvious thing that it does is it, like you just mentioned, the company is no longer doing what I necessarily want it to do as the consumer or producing the products that I want to see on the shelves or promoting the things that I believe in. They are, they are really part of a bigger agenda, a bigger strategy and campaign, if you will, that is completely independent of anything I might want. And, and it could be, you know, I'm just thinking of some of the ways we might see that worked out in, in the stores, for instance, Target, like you mentioned, I mean, we know that Target is, you know, a a liberal left-leaning company, and they obviously promote a lot of those types of social, um, uh, ideals and, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, sexual, um, uh, agenda, you know, the LGBTQ agenda initiatives, those type gender equality, race equality, like they, they have all kinds of, uh, you know, moral, uh, you, you just see it within the store all the time, moral, like standpoints that they are taking on certain issues. And it is all of one 
um, one perspective, you know what I mean? And, and I guess like some might argue, maybe that was always there with target. And so they would say, well, you know, you support, you can choose to shop there or not, you know, like you're, you have the choice, but what are some ways in which maybe that's not true? Because, uh, if this is the standard that now every business has to meet in order to even really have a chance in the marketplace, where, where's the choice for the business? Like, where's the choice for, you know, the business who, who might not have those same standards or ethics or morality, they have a different view, a different worldview or a different belief, but they are now penalized if they don't get on board with some of those, the standards and the S in the ESG stands for social. So that would be where a lot of that's falling in, in line in under that category. Well, first of all, I, I do remember a time when corporations were actually apolitical for the most part. Yeah, they wanted they wanted to remain apolitical. I remember mm-hmm. Michael Jordan. Uh, I, I live in Chicago, and one of the things he said was, "Why uh, they were?" He was asked, "Why don't you take political stands?" And he said, "Because both Republicans and Democrats buy shoes." Meaning that yeah. he did he didn't want Nike to yeah. take a stance on one political side or the other or on, right. on, on these social issues. We've seen that go by, you know, go by the wayside, obviously, mm-hmm. Nike being a, you know, primary uh, player in all of this. But getting back to what you were saying earlier, so if corporations, you know, start to play by these rules, not only are they going to be beholden to the rule makers who, who, who definitely have the ability to change the rules as they see fit. These ESG scores, they're mm-hmm. fluid. They can change on a dime. Right. One day it can be, we don't like, you know, the carbon footprint of this company. The next, it could be, we don't like this company because they are, you know, not uh, employing enough LGBTQ plus, you know, people. So yeah. the, the, the possibilities that these companies, the hoops that they would have to jump through, the hurdles that they would have to overcome are almost infinite. And like you said, it really does, it really disempowers the consumer and the customer while empowering, you know, the elites and the global elites who are wanting to produce this, this, you know, like a uh, new revolution. And one of the other things that, that really, I think uh, demonstrates the hypocrisy of all this, keep in mind, a lot of these companies who are on the ESG bandwagon, they are doing business with China. China is so it is it, it, so antithetical to everything yeah. that they say that they stand for on the ESG front, whether it's, you know, yeah. China building a new coal plant every single week, using yeah. slave labor in Xinjiang province to make Nike's, you know, sweatpants for, you know, a penny an hour. So if these companies really did have this moral crusade and they were really righteous and they truly believed in this with all their heart, mm-hmm. they would actually be making business decisions on a global scale that would you know, obviously not include China, but also many other countries that flagrantly violate these ESG uh, scores here in the United States. So it's clearly hypocrisy. It's, it is just merely serving their agenda to the rich get richer. Virtue signaling, you know, at at a level unforeseen in human history. And yes, like you said, uh, it is the people who are making, you know, money hand over fist who are the ones saying that we have to do this but then once again when it comes to their you know their own putting their money where their mouth is they are not abiding by these at all which you know shouldn't surprise us we just came through two years of covid and who were always the ones you know um shoving uh, masks down our throat and always the ones being photographed out in public without a mask on it's the same kind of hypocrisy you know it's uh rules for the not for me and 
And I think that's what we're seeing here with, with these ESG standards too. So since they're relatively new from 2018, then one of my questions was, were they ever used for anything other than this entire movement and agenda to kind of reconstruct society, right? Is that the goal to reconstruct the economy, reconstruct what we view as good or righteous, like you said, like, um, you know, coal energy, bad, clean energy, good. So now we're going to, you know, basically shift um, industry by after industry to meet these expectations and criteria. Um, were they ever intended for anything other than this, or is this just their sole purpose? Well, I, I would say that they have a, had a, a malevolent intent from the beginning, and uh, the the real genesis of the ESG movement, if you want to call it that, is China and their social credit system, and that obviously is you know, years down the road of where ESG is in the United States, but that is the ultimate, uh, you know, end game here where even individual people would have, they would have scores. You know, yeah. we have a, we have a FICO score now, but that FICO score is going to be include even FICO has just announced this in the past week or so that they are going to start to include uh, more uh, uh, elements into, into your personal credit score. And, you know, I, once I, kind of briefly mentioned this earlier, I have a investment account, uh, Bank of America. I was sent a statement about a year ago telling me my ESG score was very low. It was like 4.3 out of 10 because I just have you know investments in S&P index funds. And I was basically told that I should reallocate my, my portfolio so that my ESG score increases and that you know and and that that just like makes me wonder so in 10 years are they going to say okay if you are applying for a mortgage or a car loan we're going to give you a much higher interest rate because you are a bad boy and your esg score on your investment portfolio is very low so the possible implications from this down the road from an individual level all the way up to the corporate level are unforeseen and very and very scary Life is busy enough without having to figure out what's for dinner. Lacey Baumiller with the 5-Minute Meal will teach you a simple weekly meal planning system that will simplify mealtime, save you from the overwhelm of wondering what to make for dinner every night, and help you prepare nutritious meals that will move the needle on your health goals. Plus, your entire family will love them. No more last-minute takeout that's going to sabotage your weight loss efforts. No more making separate meals for yourself. You can actually sit down and enjoy a hot meal with your family. The five-minute meal teaches you the foundation of healthy nutrition and gives you a simple meal plan that'll help you have dinner on the table in minutes, recipes, shopping lists, and a step-by-step process to make all of it happen. Grab your free download from Lacey at LaceyBaumiller.com. That's L-A-C-I-B-A-U-Miller.com. And for anyone who downloads the five-minute meal, you will also get a free 15-minute pantry audit where Lacey will teach you how to stock your pantry to make this process effortless. Check it all out at LaceyBonmiller.com. Right. Say goodbye to freedom of speech. Say goodbye to freedom of association or uh, the right to worship freely. All of those things go out the window because if you go to a church or you tithe to, you know, a, a 501c3 that is not 
on the good list or doesn't really have the highest ESG standards because let's say they don't affirm LGBTQ or they don't whatever the standard is of the day. Like you said, it could change at any moment, which is also very scary. Like we think we know what it is right now because it's all kind of, you know, we're familiar with what the politically correct stance is to have today, right. On a number of issues. You just kind of know this is what you're supposed to believe is what you're supposed to think and supposed to fall in line with. And if you don't, you are, you know, offensive and bigot and hateful and whatever, you know, all the things, but, um, but that could change on a dime. And then you could, like you said, maybe not get a car loan or maybe not get a home loan and not build wealth and not, you know, maybe have to rent forever. And, you know, I mean, how does most of America build wealth by buying a home and then moving up, you know, I mean, that's just what, that's the standard kind of American dream that everyone can, can pursue, uh, with hard work. And that goes out the window because you have the wrong beliefs. And that's very reminiscent of China. You know, that, that is, that is like mini, mini China. Um, and we even saw some of this get, um, I, I, we saw some of this in Canada with the freedom convoy, like those who, you know, having their bank accounts frozen, that sort of thing. So do you envision that that sort of, uh, that same trajectory could take place because of the ESG standards and scores? Absolutely. So uh, speaking of Canada, RBC, Royal Bank Canada, uh, about a month ago, denied a loan to a conservative journalist in Canada. And it was strictly because of his political beliefs. And the, the fact that that would be happening, you know, in Canada is shocking. But I, I am worried that that, you know, mindset will you know, come into America in the you know, near future where if you uh, have a gas guzzling car and uh, you're using too much fuel, well, you know, your ESG score is going down. Uh, you know, it, it, the possible ramifications are just endless. It's in, in, in like, like we said at the very beginning, this is about centralization. This is about societal control. It's about social engineering, trying to put people into uh, the position that they want them to be in. And, you know, as a advocate of freedom, individual rights, liberty, it's just so opposite of everything that the United States stands for and was founded upon. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at a list and I'm sure you have similar lists of some of the criteria you mentioned. There's all kinds of objectives that go into each of these areas, environmental, social and governance. And this is just one that I, you know, found pretty quickly, but I think it would be interesting to to share with people what some of those objectives or measures or criteria are that are included in the score, because you'll see very quickly how there is not, you know, right now there, there are debates, there are really robust and, and healthy, good debates happening on some of these topics. I mean, between political parties, between candidates for different you know, levels of, of government. And the people are able to select what they value based. And that's why we have red states and blue states. That's why we have conservative and liberal areas of the country, places with different tax uh, law or da- tax code or whatever it might be. We have all kinds of variety in the United States. And, and it's because we get to choose, you know, you like government, government by the people for the people. But um, some of these criteria are are really they have a I mean, everything really has a, a basis in morality and ethics like someone has to say what is right. And 
My point is that typically we have elected people and the people have spoken for this is we want you to represent us because we think we align with you and you should be the one to make the law or to sit on the bench or whatever, run the country. Um, but with with these ESG criteria, we are putting that into the hands of the big business, the big corporations. So a few of them are like in environmental energy usage, carbon footprint, climate change, which, you know, side note, just presumes that you even actually believe climate change is occurring. So there's some worldview implications there that you don't get a choice to deny climate right. change. You and, don't get a choice. And, and- and add you know, just one one brief comment on that. As yeah. we saw throughout the pandemic, the science constantly changes. Yeah. And and the people who are saying the science is saying one thing one day are saying the science is saying the exact opposite mm-hmm. thing the other day. So yeah, right. But this is sort of being treated like that is that is a scientific, uh, you know, um, that is that is a. a a belief that is rooted in what we can discover about the environment through science. And it is a debate. It is a debate. Now, of course, there you wouldn't think it's a debate because it's in the, the column of environmental. Like, this is how you will be scored based on your policies regard in regards to climate change. So if you're an individual or a business owner or a company who says, well, I actually don't believe that global warming is, is happening in the way you're saying it is. I don't believe that that's actually a huge risk. So therefore I'm not going to run my business a certain way, or I'm not going to invest in clean energy to that degree or to any degree. Well, you obviously get penalized. Um, some of these are, you know, less obvious, um, still have implications, waste management, pollution, monitoring, natural resource conservation, contaminated property, hazardous waste, toxic emissions, compliance with government, environmental standards. Social is is a very obvious column here and what the agenda is. Employee welfare, vendor relationships, local social welfare programs, healthcare initiatives, welfare initiatives, gender equality, race equality, religion equality, education initiative, clean environment initiatives, human rights monitoring, and then under governance, transparent accounting methods, investor relationships, conflict of interest in board decisions, business ethics, um, opportunity of being heard, political influence, legal practices, whistleblower policy. I just can't help but think what small business even stands a chance. Well, that's a, that is such a great point because the big businesses, they've got armies of attorneys, armies right. of accountants. They can, they can, you know, uh, understand these, they can get around them. They've got right. lobbyists, so they're fine. But the, yeah. the mom and pop shop down the street, when they're, no you chance. know, given a, a 10,000 page binder saying, these are your ESG, you know, guidelines, good luck mm-hmm. with all that. They're, yeah. you know, they're, they're not going to be able to compete. No. It's, you know, it's, it's the same thing with, uh, you know, uh, minimum wage increases. Why does target Amazon love minimum wage increases? Because they'll eat the cost. but mom and pop shop down the street, they can't do that. So, you know, big business, you know, likes, it seems counterintuitive. And I, I remember when I first, you know, started, uh, you know, researching all this stuff, you always think, well, no, businesses don't like regulations. Well, actually, in today's day and age, big business and big government, they do like, you know, regulations because it allows big, big, uh, big government to control big business. And it allows big business mm-hmm. to uh, basically control their competitors by, by not allowing them to compete. 
Mm -hmm. So it's a win-win for government and big business. And it's a lose-lose for individuals and small business owners who, once again, let's never forget, were absolutely crushed during the pandemic. Because Mm -hmm. let's always remember, Walmart was able to stay open. Target was able to stay open. But all the mom and pop shops around here, all the little, all the restaurants, they were not allowed to stay open. So Mm -hmm. I, I think this is part of just like this, like, larger pattern that's emerged over the past you know few years where big government big business are saying okay let's join forces together and let's you know let's uh you know take the moral high ground and let's you know make people think that we're doing these things you know for the goodness of the you know uh the people when they're not they're doing it for their own Mm -hmm. interests and what one other just quick thing on that so after uh, 2008 Occupy Wall Street and all that, there was a big portion of America that was really, really talking about, oh, the big banks are you know very bad and they need to be broken up and they need to do all this stuff. And just when that started happening, the big banks started you know concocting this uh, this scheme where no, we're actually the good people and you know we're we're you know righteous and we are uh, you know giving money to like BLM and these organizations and the police are very bad. I think they tried to do that because they wanted to say, hey, wait a second, we're getting a lot of heat here. Let's kind of push you know push the heat somewhere else. And yeah. it's somewhat it, to some degree it has worked because that you know Occupy Wall Street. Uh, mm. You know that, and I'm not, I'm not like condoning it or whatever, but it has definitely lost its, you know, its momentum. And now J.P. Morgan Chase has looked at, they're good. They're, you know, uh, Bank of America, they're good because mm-hmm. they're, they're, you know, uh, fighting for ESG and for the environment and for Black Lives Matter and all these, you know, these, 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 you know, morally, uh, you know, awesome positions. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing it for that. They're doing it for money. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I just can't help but think as you're talking that, um, like we've mentioned, you know, when that, when that power, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. When that power is just all isolated and held within one individual, even if they are today, they are on the, the right side of history. They are spot on with, you know, being righteous. And, and, and even if they are totally in line with everything that is, is really, truly best for people, we have to understand And my audience, I'm a Christian and my audience listening is mostly Christian. So they understand and, and know that, um, man is sinful. And so the tendency is to actually not, uh, uphold the standard that should be upheld. The tenant that's, and that's, what's so beautiful about how our nation was built, built obviously was that our founding fathers understood this tendency to go away from what we should do, even though we know that this is what would be best. Like there will, we will all have the tendency in and of ourselves. And even as a group to, um, drift from, from what is truly, uh, best for the whole. And so, uh, I, I guess what I, what I, my point is that, even if they were right on today with these ESG standards, even if the criteria was truly best for everyone, we should be afraid of that kind of power being wielded in any individual's hands or any board of trustees and that it's all just distilled and um, existing within this small amount, you know, the small controlling the many that should concern us. But I think 
So unfortunately, very few people think that way anymore. Very few people know how to think critically and they just look at it and go, if this is good, why wouldn't we do this? I don't get it. Why wouldn't you want, why wouldn't you want, you know, companies that are valuing social welfare programs? Why, how can you say that's bad? You know, when I, when I first started hearing about the, you know, the the ESG uh, movement, I thought to myself, well, you know what? corporations, they, they should care about the community. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm happy when I see like Walmart donates sure. a million dollars to an ALS foundation or what have you. That, that's great. Yeah. However, however, I do not think that they should be forced to do that. And second of all, this idea that these benevolent, you know, this benevolent group of people are going to uh, somehow, some way try to, uh, you know, create an economy of the future in which corporations are doing things that are always on the up and up and that uh, the uh, consumers and the individuals are just going to, you know, constantly, you know, uh, benefit from that is it's, it's laughable. Are you telling me that there's going to be like no corruption, that there's not going to be people right. who are going to try to take advantage of this or, you know, and, and look what's going on right now with, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Eastern Europe, Russia. Mm-hmm. So ESG scores have definitely obviously uh, made big banks much less uh, willing and able to, uh, yeah, to lend capital to uh, fossil fuel energy companies. How is that? What is the unintended consequences of that been? Well, here we are a couple of years later, Vladimir Putin is, you know, making money hand over fist because he's selling, you know, oil and natural gas, you know, around the world. Mm-hmm. While the United States has handicapped itself partially because of ESG, you know, frameworks mm-hmm. and the, you know, the unintended consequences are, you know, this has basically fueled, no pun intended, uh, Putin's war effort. Right. So it's like the... You know, they say that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think in this instance, that definitely is applicable. Let me tell you about our last sponsor today, and that is Cornerstone Curriculum. Cornerstone Curriculum helps you teach your student a biblical worldview and the Bible's answers to today's biggest cultural issues. Cornerstone offers all sorts of curriculum and options for your students of every age, and they have everything from Bible studies to complete high school curriculum, starting points, their worldviews primer. Um, I mean, they really have resources for every age. I can speak from experience that I did learn what I believed and why I believed it through Cornerstone's curriculum myself. I did their four-year worldviews of the Western world complete high school curriculum. Um, it's how I have such a strong foundation in the formation of our nation's history, our founding documents, how I understood uh why the founding fathers came to the conclusions they did about the nature of man and why they wrote these documents the way they did. And not just that, I I was given a biblical worldview on every topic under the sun. What I will also add is that although they did teach me what was true in this curriculum, I also gained critical thinking skills that when I was confronted later in life as an adult and going to a public university on a large liberal campus, uh, I was... I was equipped with the ability to think critically about the ideas that I was presented with and introduced to, and I recognize them as false and 
as a lie. And I didn't come away from KU, one of the most liberal schools in the country, uh, a liberal. I actually was just further cemented in what I believed because I knew where these ideas came from. I hadn't just been merely told, this is true, don't question it. I had been forced to actually question it for years. And so that is why I'm so solid and so... um, just content in what I believe because I've already investigated these questions from the age of a high schooler. So I truly cannot encourage you enough to check out their website and um, order some materials for your students uh, wherever they go to school. There is something for you at Cornerstone Curriculum. Uh, Use the coupon code KINDLED for 5% off. CornerstoneCurriculum.com. So do you think there are some with good intentions with these, you know, those who are setting the standards of, well, how do we score a given company or how do we score uh, the social category? Like, here's the things we should be looking for in any given corporation. These are, this is what makes your score go up. This is what makes your score go down. Do you think there's good intentions there? Um, and, And then there's just some who are corrupt or, you know, what's your perspective on that? Oh, I think it's a mixed bag. You know, if uh, I, I, you know, interact with, uh, you know, a lot of people on both sides of, you know, this debate. And mm-hmm. I think that some of them genuinely are sincerely of the, you know, thought process that, hey, if we could just kind of, you know, massage corporations to just do more good and stop, you know, mm-hmm. giving their CEOs these, you know, million dollar payouts. And that's just, that's just not fair. And that just, that seems yeah. wrong. And the workers, they're only getting paid 15 an hour, man, they're just plugging away, but the CEO is making 15 million. So right. yeah, you know, in their, in their minds, they're saying, well, this will be a good thing. This will help, you know, the, the little guy we're going to, you know, we're going to, uh, you know, decrease the pay gap and like all these great things we're going to, you know, mm-hmm. make the, the environment so clean and wonderful, but th- that's not what's going to actually happen. You know, right. that is not what's going to actually happen. There's going to be a lot of bad stuff that happens, you know, because of this. And I just, I think it's naivete, to be honest yeah. with you. I think it a lot of it like is, it. it's naivete. They just, they do not understand. Like you said, man is fallible. Man, unfortunately, is fallible and we do bad things and we might have good intentions, but a lot of times those good intentions can, you know, lead to mm-hmm. bad outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, it does really, it, it's, it's surprising. And it, and it doesn't mean I, I don't think there are some who truly like Klaus Schwab are just demonic. Like, I just think he's an evil, evil guy. I don't think that he really, I mean, that's going out on a limb. That's my own personal opinion, but I, I don't, I don't ascribe much good intent to him, but I think there's a lot of people, um, you know, middle management in a sense, not really middle management, but those who are, um, not maybe the ones like at the helm of the ship who view this and have bought hook, line and sinker, the narrative that this is really the way forward. And capitalism is just this dirty, corrupt system where all it is, is it just serves the interests of the business and, and the, you know, like you said, the wealthy CEOs, and you shouldn't really be making that much money. It's immoral for anyone to make, make that much money all the while ignoring all of the other benefits that are inerrant in the system of capitalism for societies as a whole and how it drives down prices and pr- produces the best product for the lowest cost, you know? And so there's just so many things that I, it, it's really sad and unfortunate that a lot of people don't see. And, and that is, you know, almost harder because now we've got to fight this battle of education and, and, and educating people about, look at, look at the risk, look at the way this is actually not 
um, going to produce the outcome that you believe it will. And it's going to produce even an opposite reaction that is much worse on so many of the, the fronts that you say you're concerned about. Um, so that leads me to this question of what do we do? Like, how do we fight back? How does the average American, um, you know, is there any, is there anything we can do at this stage in the game? Uh, you mentioned we're seeing implementation happen now. Is there anything we can do to push back on this? Oh yeah. Well, first of all, I'm a a former high school public education teacher, taught history, taught economics, you know, taught general social studies for about five years. And one of the things that I noticed uh, is there has to be a complete reform of public education. Obviously the, the pandemic and, you know, school closings has literally finally opened up, you know, some parents' eyes. Right. But I think a lot of this like starts there. So if, if kids are just growing up and, and they're being indoctrinated that government's always good, corporations are always bad, mm-hmm. uh, you know, climate change is going to, you know, cause the earth to, to you know, uh, yeah. end in 10 years. Right. Yeah, yeah. So these kids, you know, these young kids are, they are, you know, being brainwashed and thinking that all this is happening and that ESG scores and all this stuff, the great reset, that is the ultimate solution to all this. So I think first you've, you've, you've got to start there. You've got to get into the you know, schools, whether it's higher education or literally primary schools. Now we've also seen all the, uh, you know, the LGBTQ stuff, you know, happening in schools. I just think it's, it's atrocious. Yeah. So, so, the, you know, there's, there's that, but then there's, there's also, Hey, wait a second. Uh, what about the, you know, the American people just, you know, standing up and saying enough is enough we we don't we don't want this we don't we don't want to be lectured we don't want to always just be constantly talked down to and we're too stupid to to, you know to make a decision for ourselves therefore you are going to make you know make those decisions so much easier and instead of us you know having the wherewithal to say hey do i want to purchase that good from amazon or do i want to go to down the street you know to that person no they're just you know they're they're going to determine that for us, and I just I think the American people are are rejecting this in real time. Look at you know look at the the state of this country, you know, with you know inflation raging and supply chain crises. This is a this is a common attraction of uh, you know ESG. Uh, you know, if we if we just you know get off fossil fuels in the next decade or so, like they would love us to do, that's gonna that's gonna cause all sorts of you know economic ramifications. So if the American people are aware of this, understand the you know dire you know outcomes that this could produce, I think that they will reject it in whole. So practically rejecting it, you mentioned Amazon. Does that just look like changing the way we buy and and rejecting the system in a sense and saying I'm not going to fall for the ploy in a sense to get me to only you know patron or patronize the you know, the big business, like you mentioned, the Walmarts or the Amazons of the world that are basically already profiting and benefiting from your system. I'm going to kind of swim upstream in a sense. That's, you know, that that's one thing that we can all just do like on a, you know, everyday, you know, basis. But I think, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously this is going to take a lot more. uh, This is, you know, it's, it's, it's the battle of, do you want shareholder capitalism, which has led to 
you know, wealth and prosperity and unforeseen, you know, level mm-hmm. in the United States of America? Or do you want to go into the, you know, the Chinese, you know, yeah. uh, model of it's, it's not really capitalism. It's not really socialism. It's this kind of like weird, you know, in between thing where, you know, giant financial institutions and government and big tech kind of, you know, like they create the, the ground rules and we all just pawns who just play like, you know, play in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, th- th- to me, that's like the, the, the big uh, yeah. question here. Is, is America going to reject this in full and say, no, we want nothing to do with this. We want free market capitalism. We want, you know, Judeo-Christian values to, mm-hmm. you know, remain the soul of this nation. Or are we going to go the other way and say, no, actually, we really want, you know, the, the big institutions to kind of, you know, tell us like how to live, tell us, you know, what to buy, how to, mm-hmm. you know, how to, you know, uh, function every day. It's, I, I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. You know, this, this, this upcoming generation, I don't think right. that they value freedom as much as even, you know, my generation does. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And that's, that's where it really starts with education. It starts with how we are training up our kids and raising them and what we're teaching them. And, that we are, you know, formulating, helping them build a worldview that, that sees the bigger picture and can help them pick apart some of these narratives that are so attractive and, and sound good on the face of it, but, um, are really just a a front for such, um, destruction and, and deconstruction of, you know, it's just, it's, it's so mind blowing that we live in the, the wealthiest nation in the history of the world you know, with the most relative safety and happiness and all of the things that anyone in history has ever had, but it's almost like we're so bored. We're trying to create problems for ourselves. You know, I mean, people are, and obviously it's bigger than that. I know, but it, it's honestly, it's mind blowing. It's like, I, I, I don't, words fail me. (laughs) No, I, 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 I've been, uh, you know, thinking the same thing for, for many, many years. And, you know, yeah. I, I'm a student of history and I love, you know, going back and uh, looking at old, older civilizations and, you know, when they were, you know, on the up and up and, and then they hit the top, they became a little, you know, you know, uh, fat for lack of a better word. And then they start to, you know, go into decline. I really hope that we are not at that, you know, that point where it's, where we've, you know, accumulated so much wealth so much prosperity just so much abundance that now that now we aren't even concerned with uh you know the big things and you know we are uh just just going to allow these things to happen to us right um yeah what who is the podcaster oh um andrew clavin i think he talks about this concept of decadence like Yes. That, that, uh, you know, societies reach that point of just absolute decadence, like you're describing where, um, you know, there's more wealth and prosperity than there ever has been. And there's this decay that often follows. And I, I feel like that's what we are seeing. And I just hope that enough people see, you know, see that trajectory and, um, take their kids out of school if they need to educate them differently, uh, or somehow, you know, help them see the truth because, you know, eventually this current generation is going to die off and that there, you know, there's always hope for things to kind of turn around with new ideas and different beliefs, but, um, any other words of encouragement or, um, suggestions for people of how they can, any small things they can do or ways that they can fight back in their own day-to-day lives. 
so my my first recommendation would be look at look at your own like financial portfolio. Our ESG score is you know being in, you know inflicted upon you. Uh, if they are, what does that mean for you? Uh, you know, I, I am a victim of uh, ESG scoring. I wanted nothing to do with it, but it's, you know, it happened to me. Um, so there's, there's that. Uh, second of all, I think that, you know, it just as a whole, whether it's, you know, a small group of people or, you know, uh, a large, you know, interest group, we have to make it very clear that this, this is a, you know, a non-starter that we do not want this, that takes critical thinking, that takes thinking, you know, three, four, five steps down the road. It also, you know, it takes courage, it takes bravery. Yeah. So I really hope that the people will first understand, you know, the, the yeah. first you have to understand what's happening before you can, you know, address it or solve it. And I, I just, I really hope that the American people do not fall for this, you know, this trap where, mm-hmm oh, this is going to be great. We're going to, you know, make, make corporations, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just like more fuzzy for everybody. No, that's not what this is about. This is about people taking giant sums of money and pushing it into places that they want it to be so that they can make much, much more money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The American, American people are just the victims of it. Right. And so often I think we are the victims of, you know, um, our own lack of courage and, and group think. And, and it's like, when we see, when we see the aisles of target filled with, you know, certain narratives or agendas or, or, uh, you know, moral stances on topics that, that really target has no business making a stance on. It's like, can I just not buy home goods and food for my family without being affronted by you know this entire sexual agenda or gender identity and the models the male models in the men's section wearing you know on the photos wearing skirts and you know but but that's the world we live in and so when you when you don't think critically and you're not thinking in a way that is there is there's an agenda going on here if you're not thinking that you might actually really fall prey to i guess that's maybe maybe i'm just maybe I'm a little behind the times. I, I kind of need to just brush up and get with it and, you know, kind of fall in line and, and not be, not push back. And you just sort of adopt the narrative because you assume that's the right thing to do. You're not thinking critically. And, and it's really, that's exactly what they want. They want you to be a cog. They want you to not I, use your brain. They want you to just, uh, you know, fall in. I don't know how else to say that, but be an informed consumer. Yeah. Be an informed consumer when you're going to the grocery store and, you know, Ben and Jerry's is there and you don't agree with, you know, their stance on Israel and mm-hmm. their stance on a lot of things. Don't buy their product. Right. Buy another product, buy a product. And, and eventually, if everyone did that, guess what would happen? Ben and Jerry's would lose a lot of money and they might think to themselves, oh, maybe we shouldn't mm-hmm. be so outspoken about, you know, issues yeah. that have nothing to do with ice cream. Right. You know, right. stay in your lane, stay in your lane. I think the American people need to make that message loud and clear. Hey, Coca-Cola, we we don't want you taking the all-star game out of Atlanta because of, you know, the voting laws. And, you know, that's not what that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to make soft drinks that we that we drink. And hey, by the way, if you're so worried about all this stuff, hey, Coca-Cola, why are you making sugar water that, uh, you know, minority groups are, you know, getting diabetes at a, you know, monumental Mm -hmm. clip. So once, once again, you know, if you really cared about that, maybe you would do something there, Coca-Cola, but Hey. All right. Well, man, thank you so much, Chris. This has been really helpful. Um, is there anywhere that I guess you don't have social media, but where can people read, uh, your, the content that you're working on with the Heartland Institute? 
So stoppingsocialism.com is uh, like our main aggregator of uh, articles related to Great Reset, Socialism in America, Socialism Worldwide, History of Socialism, all that kind of stuff. And then heartland.org is uh, where all this ESG um, uh, stuff is happening. So I would love people to go visit heartland.org, learn more about ESG. There's Mm -hmm. a lot more resources available there. And Mm -hmm. like you said earlier, just be aware, be informed, be active. Don't put your head in the sand. Don't do it. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a great day. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I certainly learned a lot from Chris, and I feel much more equipped to be able to explain ESG standards to someone else and also um, argue for why they are dangerous and damaging to uh, really our way of life as a whole and uh, certainly our country and our children's future as we know it. And, you know, just a note in closing, um, of course, as believers, we know that um, we can't put any hope in stopping socialism. Do we want that to happen? Absolutely. Should we fight for that? I believe that we should, because I believe that that actually um, goes against God's word in so many different ways and is not bring glory to him with the way that it requires us to treat other people. And so certainly I think we can um, do what we can within our capacity to to fight against that, but at the same time realizing our hope isn't in uh, maintaining a certain system of government. And, and as believers, we know that we are to store treasure in heaven and not on this earth. So while I 1 million percent do not want – any of the things that we talked about to become just the standard practice in our day-to-day, I also just wanted to add that note that certainly our hope is not in preventing these things, and uh, we can work for something and, and believe it's best while at the same time believe that ultimately hope is in Christ and uh, we are made for eternity and that you know, God's will is going to play out how it does and we can be faithful regardless of the circumstances. So just wanted to note that there at the end. Um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And if you are in Firestarters, I will see you on Friday. Otherwise, see you right back here next Monday. Bye, guys.